Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. And speaking of that ministry, I want to remind you that uh, for... Uh, seven, eight years now, I have been uh, director of this ministry, providing counseling and support to those who are in ministry who perhaps are going through difficult times, uh, challenges, big decisions, uh, marriage counseling, family counseling for people in ministry. So I want to encourage you again, if you know of anybody that could benefit from this ministry, please uh, get a hold of me. Uh, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Love to hear from you. So today what I'm going to be doing is um, talking uh, about a tragedy that a friend of mine, a, a rather recent friend, uh, Peter Yang, went through some years ago when he was a student at Tacoa Falls College. Uh, he experienced a, a tragedy at home, uh, the murder of his mom by his own father. And it's, a, it's an unusual story, one uh, that is, is rather gripping as you hear Peter uh, describe how this, this challenged his own uh, faith, uh, his own assumptions of culture, and also how the Lord worked in his own life and, uh, and, and just what community support looked like uh, in, in this particular uh, tragedy that he experienced. So I'm going to go ahead and, and jump right into that interview right now, and uh, we'll come back to it at the end with some comments. So here we go. Well, I have the uh, privilege this morning to be talking to Peter, Peter Yang. Uh, remind us, uh, remind me where you're at, Peter. Yeah, I am located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ah, awesome. The big city. Yes. Quite, the a, quite a difference from little Tacoa, Georgia. Um, <laughs> I think cool. the traffic flows a little easier here. <laughs> Except for that one stoplight, uh, I forgot where it's at in Tacoa. Oh yeah, yeah, downtown Tacoa. Yeah, yeah. I actually went through it the other day. I I was impatient. This is going to take forever, so that's on record here. <laughs> well, I had the I had the privilege of meeting you actually during a an alumni soccer game, and uh, you also knew my daughter, and you know, she introduced me to you, and uh, we started talking, and you you shared um, quite quickly is, you know, quite a powerful story that uh, is your story, a tragedy that happened at home. And I, I just want to say, I'm, I'll, uh, I've also mentioned this in my introduction here that, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've seen so often that success or, or the, the function of faith is not so that things go our way in life, uh, because we know they don't, but it's, it's what been, what's been given to us to keep trusting Jesus when things don't go our way. Uh, so I think just in my conversations with you and in reading some of the stuff you've written, I know that that's, uh, that's your heart. So we're going to be talking about a, a real raw story here of uh, tragedy in your home. Uh, but before we get that, uh, get there, to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your family, uh, what led you to do what you're doing. And I always like to ask this question of people I'm interviewing is what, what's most passionate to you, what matters to you the most in life? Yeah. And every, um, and you can't say Jesus because that's uh, just assumed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> I do, I, I do, uh, I do have four boys, um, all, all under the ages of, uh, of nine. So I've got a nine-year-old, a, 
a six-year-old, a uh, four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And been married to my wife for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's August. And so we we were both Tokofi alumni, met there at college, and uh, just fell in love with each other and wanted to do life together. And uh, it's been one of the best decisions of, of our lives. We moved around quite a bit, uh, but occupationally, you know, I do work for a pretty large bank here in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And aside from that, I'm also uh, on staff here at my church as a worship leader. What was your degree from Tacoma Falls College? Yeah, it was in counseling psychology. Okay. Well, I, I'm sure that comes in, comes in handy. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure even where you work, it's, it's got to come in handy, but uh, that's a, that's a great, great degree to get. And it's got, yeah. it's a great program here at Tacoma Falls. Definitely. It's, uh, you know, I'm always using my skills every day. Um, and I just felt like I just naturally just felt fit the groove of, of, uh, what I think counselors should, should be and what they, what they should, uh, characteristics and, and skills that they should have. And so I, I've never changed majors. Uh, yeah. I've always enjoyed just, uh, being, being in counseling. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I think it's a, it's, it's probably a good point to make too, that, uh, you know, Christian training is, is so important for, for anyone, not just people that go into occupational ministry, that where you are is ministry. And, um, and in fact, I, I've often been amazed by the fact that, uh, that people that work in, in the secular world, as, as we tend to put it, uh, have more opportunities really to encounter people than, than pastors do, you know, in, in the sense of, of people who might not be followers of Christ. So, I'm, I'm sure that you, you sometimes are encouraged by that. Uh, so, yeah. So what, uh, that, that question of what matters to you, what are you most passionate about? How would you, how would you answer that? Yeah. Um, I think what I'm most passionate about, it, it would probably be in that area in that realm of just counseling of really come alongside people being very pastoral in nature and just providing, mm. uh, counseling, coaching to, to those people. Um, you it, spe- specifically in tragedy, uh, mm-hmm. in loss. Um, as you know, that's something that's close to me. Um, and something that I've had to learn to navigate, uh, you know, almost felt like I had to do it myself, but, um, you know, as I look back mm-hmm. now, I can see how God has always been there for me. He's helped me to to look back and see that, you know, there was always a path. There was a way to navigate through all this and, mm-hmm. you know, to help people come alongside people to help them understand, um, have a proper world perspective as well. Um, into things, especially into loss and suffering, I think it helps us to frame our mind in the right way, um, so that we can we can be headed in the right direction. Yeah, and and none of us ever expect that we're going to experience a tragedy. Uh, the Lord Jesus does, and he, he prepares us for things that we never expect will happen. And uh, so let let's let's go ahead and talk about that. You you experience something that is is rather unusual. Uh, you know, a lot of people go through a lot of things. People face a lot of losses. This this was unique. So t- tell us the story of your 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 mom and your dad. Uh, give a little bit of the backdrop. You were at college when all this happened, and uh, so yeah, tell tell the story. Yeah, so it was around May two thousand nine, just finishing up finals week before uh, summer rolled along. And at the time, I was just twenty years old. My parents' marriage had. It had always been unstable for the past 23 years they had been married and uh, they had been separated from one another. Uh, there was a, a protective order placed on my father. So he mm. literally came home to his own home and was told by police that you have to pack up your stuff and leave. And, uh, you know, 
he he literally did that and yeah my parents were separated for about a month and it scarred us kids as well we didn't know it was kind of sudden uh very immediate there's no warning no we weren't told that this was going to happen so it really hurt us too we didn't quite understand um but things continue to just boil and get to a really really <clears throat> a really bad part uh, of their marriage and their relationship to where my father ended up murdering my mother uh, it was so sudden so mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we we couldn't believe it we didn't we didn't think that he have he would have the ability or capacity, the capacity to, to do that. Yeah. 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 yeah so that definitely spiraled. Tell, tell us uh, just, you know, as, as you can, how, how did you hear about that? Was that moment when you were told that your father had killed your, your mom, where were you? How did you react? Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a three part phone conversation. The first part, I just finished the final was walking back to my dormitory and my brother called me, left me this weird voicemail saying mm. a lot of blood everywhere. And I was like, I just talked to mom yesterday. Um, wow. He hung up, he left. I didn't know. I was kind of left. Now your un- brother found him. Uh, my brother did not find him, but they mm. did find my mother. Find your mom. Okay. And then later on, you know, after a few hours, I was later told that, that she had passed away. And he was, he wasn't telling me direct. And so I said, what do you mean? She's in a better place, you know? Um, and so he told me that, you know, dad, dad killed her. I've never heard more. I've never heard more certainty in his voice and just hearing the, just the pain in his voice to tell me that over the phone. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like he was in shock, which is why he was having difficulty really just saying it. Um, you know, how, how do you say that? And in, in a way where, you know, it's expressed to you where you understand the, the reality of what happened. Uh, it was, it was, I think it was just equally as hard for him to soak that in to tell me over the phone that that's what happened. And mm. I just remember him telling me that and being in disbelief, you know, just immediately. I just thought like, this is, this is the story that you hear on, on the news, the, in, you know, in your local news. Uh, and this is a story of other people that you always hear. Yeah. To someone like, else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this, this, this is not me. Like the, the, the story can't be mine. Um, that's initially what I thought. And, uh, but I was just so sure just hearing his voice, his tone, I was so sure of what he said. And I, I just start crying and, uh, I called, I called my, my girlfriend at that time. Uh, well, my wife, uh, she was my girlfriend at that time. I mm-hmm. called her to come out immediately of, uh, of her dorm and to meet me. And I told her and, you know, I was just, whew, um, you know, I was just crying so hard. Wow. Couldn't, couldn't even, couldn't catch a breath. And mm. I remember just crying and saying, you know, mom, mom, in my, my native language and uh, crying that with my eyes closed. And when I opened my eyes, it's, it was like, I could see an image of her just floating away into the clouds and smiling down, look at me. I'm just like, mm. I can't. I can't stop you from coming down. You know, you're, you're, I'm losing you. You're, you're going away from me. And, um, you know, just that feeling of just being abandoned and uh, orphaned, you know, that moment really settled in me. That was a really, really difficult time. A lot of emotion, a lot of mixed feelings, you know, trying to understand what happened and what happened. Yeah. All the- yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's obviously immediate, I mean, you need to make space for the, the reaction, but then there must be a lot of questions 
so where did you where did you go from there? And, and where did your mom and dad live? Yeah, yeah. Um, they lived in Indianapolis, okay. um, on the east side of Indianapolis. And so from there, uh, you know, was just trying to finish up the last final I had to do and um, go go back to Indiana and try to prepare for this funeral. Be comforted and try to comfort others who are grieving as well um, mm-hmm. from both sides of my parents' family. Uh, trying to, you know, explain and help them to understand. And, you know, I just imagined that I was going to go to a funeral here and I was going to have two sides of my family just feud with one another. Wow. And I, I was just like, I got to get off this. I got to get off this train somehow, you mm. know, um, inevitable had to happen. You know, we had to, of course, have this funeral and try to be civil with each other. Um, but I definitely felt there's, I don't know if anyone else could. I think my siblings and I could definitely feel the hostility between the two, the two families. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's understandable, isn't it? Uh, you know, your, your man did this to our, our gal, you know, and um, they're, they're processing that. Uh, what, what was the, when, when you were able to finally, you know, to soak this in, absorb the reality of it. What, what do you remember your thoughts towards your father at that very early point? Oh yeah. He uh, obviously would have been arrested. He's in prison. He's not at the funeral. He did this to your mom. What, what's going on there in your mind? Right from the beginning, I, I even publicly stated, you know, during the funeral that I, I'm choosing to forgive. That's my choice to make right now. I'm, I'm going to choose to forgive him. And I, I knew that that was a lot easier said than done. Yeah. And that I knew that there was then this path of unforgiveness I would have to walk through, which it was not easy to walk through that at all. Yeah. And we, I'd like to talk about that. It's one of the questions that, that we have here. Um, you, you mentioned that there were, uh, you know, you gave hints of this when you called your, your girlfriend, what's her name, your, your wife, Kaylin, Sayla, Sayla. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you, you called out mom in your, in your own language. Uh, you, you shared with me the other day that there were a lot of cultural dynamics that that led to all of this uh, so give a little bit about your your ethnic background and and also expound on that to what what was going on there that uh, you believe contributed some to this happening yeah um well for people who don't know you know my ethnicity we're called Hmong and we are kind of a tribal ethnic um southeast asian group we don't we don't have a country there's if you if you ever visited Tokoa during the school year you'll see a lot of Hmong students a lot oh of yes Asians yes there. yeah and so i'm i'm part of that ethnic group and uh you know ethnically growing up again we i didn't grow up in the church we grew up in a very shaman sort of background and mm. we didn't though we weren't super extreme on that we definitely certain carried certain customs that they did um and i think that also affected my parents and their outlook on their marriage, uh, you know, polygamy was a common thing mm. in our culture. Um, my father, again, he tried to, at a young age, he tried to have multiple wives, I guess, mm. um, end up going to prison the first time, uh, trying to, to uh, sexually advance himself on a woman. And so uh, he was tried for that, was guilty for that. And I think that already started to cloud just yeah. my identity of who my How father How long was he in prison that time? He was in prison for about three, two and a half to three years at that wow. time. Wow. Wow. Um, and I think there's just a stigma, you know, when these, these um, horrible things happen to your family that 
you kind of are looked down upon or, you know, you might measure out to be like your father. Um, a lot of these generational things uh, um, seem to just kind of fall in the next generation. And so I feel like there was always a stigma on me that, that uh, I wasn't, I wasn't good. Or, and rightly so, you know, you kind of don't want to associate your, yourself with people uh, who have done those certain things. And um, yeah, there's know, shame. There's a level of shame there and and guilt yeah for sure and and i and i know yes being a christian we 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 should not ought to hold that against you know our 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 own brother and sisters you know hopefully none none think that mm-hmm. but I couldn't, I couldn't help but think that because that has that has been ingrained in our culture i couldn't help but think that there's a little bit of that maybe maybe a hint of that um in in, in the thoughts of other people when mm-hmm. they think of my name or they think of my family so, so you're first generation American then? Yes. Yeah. And at the funeral, were there a good number of family that, that on both sides, your mom's side and dad's side that uh, were, were already in America? It was already a pretty large contingency of the family here in the States? Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a pretty large, uh, large amount of the family here in the U.S., I mean, it was good to see them, but it was also quite painful that we had. So at the funeral, you picked up that tension. You mentioned hostility. Uh, was it, was it suppressed? Was it controlled? You could just sense it or was there drama? I think, I think there's definitely a lot of trauma, but they, I don't think either one was bold enough to say it to one or the other. Um, but they were ma- mainly shared amongst me, um, my older brother, just the, the negativity, the thoughts behind mm-hmm. what they were maybe planning to do. And I, I hope that it was all just talk, but we, you know, we still had police there even to help uh, facilitate, yeah. you know, um, just because we didn't want anything crazy to happen again. Um, yeah. And we, and this is a, I think this is an important conversation to have. I've really, I've never had a conversation in a podcast where we've talked about this, but even on a, on a, on a lower, if you look at the layers of, of trauma or pain, even where there's a divorce, you have families that are pit against each other, uh, you know, and, and there's, there's stress and tension and, and the gospel calls for otherwise, you know, and I, I love the fact that you uh, sort of planted that flag at the funeral that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm standing here in a posture of forgiveness towards my father um, but if, if you don't allow the gospel to, to influence your reaction here, the, our nature and whether it's cultural, whether it's, it's just who we are as, as people, uh, you know, the default is, is to sin. The default is to blame. Uh, so what, what did you learn there about yourself? Um, you know, even your own background being from the Hmong uh, culture and, now you're also you're a believer, but also you're American. What did you learn about yourself that never would have come to mind if this tragedy had not happened? For me, I had to really learn to start with the end in mind. Uh, and what I mean by that, mm. what I mean by that is have already made my decision on how I'm going to feel and react to all these things that are to come. What, what will ultimately be my decision to make because there's there's this I guess obligation to be compliant uh, to the culture as well, yeah. But also be truthful um, according to the gospel and not uh, not forsake or water down that truth. And so, I think for me it was learning to try to marry those two together uh, mm. to be. I think 
Asian culture is very, you know, compliant. You want to be compliant, you know, as a son, as a, as someone who's younger, but also you don't want to be compliant to things that are wrong, uh, things that are bad. And there's a lot of, of course, bad things that happen, but um, how do I then still have the gospel shine in this moment and, and do what's right and not just because of culture. Um, and so for me, trying to begin with the end in mind, you know, just thinking, do I, in the end, do I want to be someone who's forgiving, who's loving, who has yeah. uh, the fruit of the spirits, you know, and, and for me, you know, words are such a powerful thing, you know, uh, what I say I would do, it's my bond to you. Um, and, mm. and before all these people, that was my, that was in a way they were, I don't think they realized, but I think it was in a way them also just keeping me accountable that this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to choose to do and say, and I'm going to live it. I'm going to show it. And in the end, again, I have the end in mind. This is what I'm going to get to. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so I think that helped me to have a very good perspective, not just mm-hmm. live necessarily in the moment and in the emotion um, and, and not try to be tied to how my family members are necessarily feeling because though, though they are grieving, um, I don't want to try to side with anyone, but really, really just think, God, like, where, where do I need to be? You know? Yeah. Because um, I mean, there are definitely wrongs and rights on both sides, but yeah, asking the Lord, where, where do I need to be, and and not trying to pick sides, but yeah. how do I, how do I then bring, I guess, healing into my own life and to this whole entire family to be to influence healing to others. Yeah, of of both sides of the family, how many followers of of Jesus um, were there at that time, and how how has that changed? Has that changed? For my mother's thought, I think of one family I know of that are pretty, pretty uh, devout and mm-hmm. uh, definitely, you know, solid in their their belief in Jesus. They also go to a, an Alliance Hmong Church in uh, Minnesota. Mm. But uh, from my father's side, a great majority of them are, are believers. Um, I think uh, one or two of them, one of the two uncles, one or two uncles are, are not believers and obviously their children um don't seem to care either, but yeah, the majority of them are. And, uh, you know, they, they've not that I'm trying to harbor any bitterness, but there's a lot of things that happen. I think even amongst us as believers that, uh, that definitely dampened our relationship. But I think overall, like I still, I still love them. I still think, mm-hmm. you know, wonderful things of them. Um, and so it's, it's always just good to still be at a distance. Yes. But, and, and, and uh, encourage each other. Yeah. But, you know, they're definitely not, I would say, we're definitely not super close. Yeah. Um, maybe, I think also maybe this incident had some things to do with it. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. What's your relationship with your father like now? Yeah, with my father, um, I've had to kind of be careful um, to, to not get too close to him because mm. he's still um, unforgiving or unrepentant of what he did. And uh, we'll go more into that later, but with my father, I've still tried to have a relationship with him. You know, I realized that he's just like anyone else. He wants to still be loved and be accepted, to be cared for, to know that he's thought of. Um, and so I still tried to at least, you know, email him back and forth uh, and just keep contact with him. Just ask how he's doing and what I can do to just help him in his, in his time there at prison. I think that's the most honoring thing uh, a son can do, especially uh, a person who, who is going to follow the gospel. You know, I think that's the most honoring thing mm-hmm. I can do for my father. And I'm hoping that, you know, maybe someone out there is crazy enough to see that and see, wow, like, you know, Peter, he's, he really does love his father. He really does 
want to honor God at all cost. Yeah, I'm, I, I can imagine there's there, there's that's been a tension and and a challenge in so many ways. Uh, tell us tell us about your siblings and how uh, you shared with me the other day that they they all reacted differently. Oh yeah, um, how many how many have, siblings do you have? Yeah, I've got four siblings. I've got mm-hmm. an older brother, and uh, he was in the military at that time, and then I have. <clears throat> Or younger ones. Um, you're you're in high school, and then my sister's the youngest. She was 11 at that time. I think 11 or 12. Um, but they all have different paths that they grieve. Their their journey is certainly different from mine. Um, they certainly have a lot of uh, a lot of guilt, um, a lot of shame. I think about mm-hmm. one of my other brothers. I mean, I won't tell you his part, but uh, out of respect for him, but mm-hmm. definitely some some grief and uh, regret he had. Having some some PTSD from from seeing everything, seeing my mother. Wow. Uh, yeah, they definitely had a different different route they've had to take, and um, equally just as difficult as as mine. Has have you uh, seen your father since this happened? Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw him. I went to one of his preliminary court hearings, um, and he was sedated. Uh, but they brought him out. He was, they, they call him, um, they call him uh, black box handcuffed. And so he's cuffed mm-hmm. by the hands and, and by the feet. And I remember just seeing him, his hair was all kind of torn and he was very slow to speak. Sounded like a very, very, a very elderly old man. Broke my heart. I'm like, <clears throat> man, yeah. Wow. That's my dad. Like mm. rightly he deserved where he's at. You know, he put himself there, but it still hurt me because that's, that's still your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the second time I did see him, it was before I moved to Connecticut. I, I came back from Georgia after graduating, moved to Indiana, and then had our first son there. My wife and I were going to move to Indiana. And I just saw him one last time. That was probably 2000, 2013 when I saw him. That's been, that's been the last time I've seen him. Um, and he was healthy. He was, you know, he was well. But our conversation was just very, very odd, very strange. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. 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 I mean, you have two options. It's either going to be a surface conversation or you're going to get into this, you know, you're going to go there and it sounds like you've not with him. Uh, part of, I think part of the counseling aspect of me in, is also just trying to understand and learn him yeah. now. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I've always just been a son in his house and I've really never actually got to understand him and his, his thinking, his rationale. Mm. So when I, when I try to go back and speak to him i'm trying to formulate how's his personality like you know what what maybe he experienced some sort of trauma in his own life that's affecting him and that's why he can't uh, he can't seem to admit that he had done these things not just you know murdering my mother but also his his past offense you know with raping the woman um Mm -hmm. his mistress that he tried to you know have as a second wife um there are things i think that are unknown about him that i'm still trying to figure out I don't know if I ever will figure those things out. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't you know, desire to absolutely know, but it would help me to just. Yeah. Understand well, you're, you'd be, li- I mean, even if you wanted to or could, it, it's, it's contingent really on his willingness to, to be transparent and vulnerable with you. And, uh, you know, uh, and it sounds like you're taking a, a kind of a long-term approach here of being patient, just maintaining level of relationship and, uh, you know, I, I find myself in these kind of cases where I might sense or feel helpless and being able to influence someone is to pray that someone in their context shows up in their life who's a strong believer. And 
and can, you know, be the presence of Christ there. Um, you know, I, I visit, I have a friend who's in prison for life and, uh, I see him probably twice, two to three times a year. And I'm, I'm the only person that, that ever sees him. Uh, but he, he found the Lord back in 2014, uh, because of several other Christians there. And, uh, it's just been phenomenal to see the change. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that might be an encouragement to folks that might feel, that they're too close to a situation and feel helpless is, is to pray that the Lord Jesus brings someone else in their life who, who, who can do what we cannot do. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's been a process to even get to that point. And that, mm-hmm. that's really why I have my relationship with him. I still, still want to hopefully for him to come to the Lord. You know, if I could be that example to him as his son, uh, I'm glad to. Um, and so I've had to be patient. And yeah. you know, the times I want to give up, you know, times I get frustrated about the past. And I think about what things could have been if this had not happened. And, you know, I get so mad. And I just remember like the Lord just speaking to me. He's like, why do you think you're, why do you think you, you're any deserving of my forgiveness? And so mm. for me, that forgiveness for him has really been more reflective of just my personal relationship with Jesus. And I understand that I never deserved it in the first place. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that that godly sort of forgiveness, godly sort of love when it does, when it is given, you know, from, from God to me, it's just, it's abounding. I want to share it. I want to give it. And for me, I, it's been a process to be able to come to that point where I absolutely still want to give that to him. And I think in any moment when I do get frustrated, I always find that God's grace and his forgiveness is there to also just still cover me and show, and it's more than enough to, to still help me to give that same sort of yeah. love towards him. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I, I, I believe that having a theology of suffering is so important to you, you know, reflecting on the gospel when you go through a tragedy leads to what you've just shared that you, you know, here you are dealing with your affection and struggle with affection towards a dad who took your mom. And, but then you reflect on Christ and that he is, you know, he died for us. He took our place at the cross and took on himself the wrath of God that was, that we deserved as, uh, as sinners. And uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, reflecting on the gospel in times like this really shapes our attitude and our expression uh, towards people. And, um, and it, I was going to ask you this question, how, how did you, process this spiritually, which you just shared, but, uh, did this, did you have to kind of reset your belief system, your, your theology during, during this time? I imagine that's probably been a journey. Oh, most definitely. I think I'm doing that every day. Hmm. Every day hmm. as I can even live, but, and I, I definitely am a firm believer that everything that I do in this life, actions I make, things I say is a representation of what I actually truly believe. Um, and so, I should ought to forgive, obviously, because Jesus is that example, um, because he has shown that to me. And if if he had done it any other way, then I would do it that way. And and for me, there's no excuse for but 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 to do it the way God has called it to, to be done. Uh, you know, to forgive, you know, 70 times 70, I'm just like, Lord, how how can how can I lose? How can I do this? You know, it's definitely not in my own power. My flesh doesn't want to. I want to just give up because it's so yeah, it's so hopeless. Yeah. I may never see it come to fruition. But I think it's so simple. We we all know the truth that we ought to forgive because because Christ has forgiven us because mm-hmm. that's what he commands of us. That's his word. You know, I've had to literally build 
my life literally on his word and nothing else. Yeah. And not how I feel because my emotions are just so misleading too. And so how do I stand on something that I'll never change? And it's yeah. definitely his word. You know, it's amazing. That. I, whenever I hear of things like this and in the media uh, and a few times in, in being, you know, connected to a, a tragedy and I hear someone stand up and say, I'll never forgive you, you know, hope you, you rot in hell, rot in prison. And then you have someone else who, who says, you know, I, I forgive you for what you've done. Uh, I know what the person believes based on how they've expressed themselves to, uh, to others. And, um, and, and again, this is how the gospels displayed uh, to, to the world around us by, by our words and our attitude towards people who have hurt us. How, how has this impacted your role as a father? And, uh, and also, how, how are you beginning to process this with your, your children, particularly, you know, maybe your nine-year-old or six-year-old? Yeah, uh, for me, I think this started even before the tragedy happened, even I think back when the first offense happened, when my father went to prison. Um, from the start, I just made a promise to myself I'd never be like him. I'd be everything, mm. you know, I'd be someone who loved my wife, who loved my children, who was a man of my word. I always just vowed that even from my young age, when I didn't know Christ, uh, that I would, I would be that type of person. You know, I had a lot of insecurity that ran through me through the tragedy about who I was, uh, mm. why did my parents even have us, uh, what did their marriage stand on uh, throughout this entire time, and just my competency as, as a man, as a godly man. And Having having children just really helped me to understand just the heart and the mind of God. I just remember looking at my son and hey, he's just crying. He's his little baby and I'm trying mm. to comfort him. Finally put him to sleep. And I think for me, I always had this lingering relationship with Jesus. Just feeling like I was not good enough. I had to do more. Um, and that's how I was with my father. You know, I always had to win his approval. Do, do yeah. good and do yeah. good. And when I remember putting my son down after he was crying, I remember just going to bed and resting and God just spoke to me. He just said to me, how much do you think I love you? Immediately tears began to welt my eyes. And I realized that he loves me so much. If I love my son this much, you know, how much more does he actually love me? Um, you know, when I'm good, when I'm, when I'm mean, when I'm bad, you know, and I'm just like, man, I think for the first time, I, I felt like I had a lot of insecurities just broken in my life because mm. I, I understood the love of the father through my love to my son. Um, and, and so, you know, I look at my dad who didn't have a father. He, he didn't have anyone to, to walk after. Again, he's probably have things that he's walked through that he has never shared and mm. a lot of brothers in his own life. I mean, he never had a father. He lost his father when he was like two or three years old. Um, so I can't imagine how, how that has shaped him. But, you know, for me, I, having Jesus, having the Lord, you know, I, I knew better. And having a lot of father figures in my life would help guide me in the right ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's been, it's, you know, I still look back every every day too at my life as as a child under my parents' home and look and see what can I continue to do to be just you know a godly husband and father and lead mm-hmm. lead me in the right ways. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a journey and how to how to unveil this to them. It's been something I ask God for wisdom and yeah. I would ask you know your listeners and yourself just for prayer because mm-hmm. you know I can't unload this on them yet. Yeah, um, yeah. they're definitely not at that maturity, but they, they will know someday when we've taken, you know, trip out to Indianapolis before they've seen mm. my mother's tombstone, but uh, to tell them the details of how this all happened. Yeah. And they'll probably start asking questions more as they get older as well. So it's being prepared for how you, 
proportion that out, you know, in a way that that children can handle is uh, is certainly a challenge. Uh, you you talked about you know your immediate your impulse was to you know call your girlfriend and she came and you wept and uh, no doubt she's been a, a a huge support system to you through this. That's a a trial that probably shaped your relationship together. Uh, but what was the broader than just that relationship? What was your support system like as you went through this? Reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, uh, my support system. I mean, I, it was definitely the the staff and the friends and family I had here at Tacoal Falls College. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was either after that funeral, it was either stay at home and don't go back to school and be with my siblings and help them grieve. Yes. Mm-hmm go back to school, finish your degree and be in an area where you can possibly heal. And I chose to go back to school because I knew that if I didn't, I would never, I would never, you know, of course I was a collegiate athlete. A lot of my teammates uh, were there for me, even, even friends who would come over by my room, like they, and some of them were of the Hmong community, some were not, but Mm -hmm. even come and talk to me about, you know, what was happening. The Mm. fact that they were there, just their presence there, uh, I highly, highly valued very much. You know, some of the staff there, Dr. Corey Gilbert, he was mm-hmm. very, very huge in my life. Um, he was my academic advisor, counselor, Miss um, Vera Natel. I don't, uh, she will, her, now her last name is uh, Dexter, I believe. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not her name. Uh, I forgot her last name now, but, you know, she was very instrumental. It just, you know, I would go to chapel, but I wouldn't actually be in chapel. I'd yeah. be talking with her. Yeah. And she, she shared with me her personal tragedy. She gave me a great, great book um, by Jerry Sitster. Oh my word. Yeah. yeah. And fantastic. I could never stop. Is that a grace disguised? Yeah. Grace disguised. Oh my word. I read that shortly after my son passed away and I read, I've read that book three or four times since. And it, it, uh, it, it helped me to, to really plant some flags early on. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Such an amazing story. And uh, I think theologically how it's just beautifully wrapped up into a story and trying to yeah, he uh, just just real quickly, he experienced the uh, 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 death of his wife, mom, and one of his children. I think in a yeah. in a car accident, and he was driving. I think behind the the car, and I I think I'm correct in the details there. But he he writes it from a theological uh, perspective and personal uh, perspective as well. I actually interviewed him for one of my podcasts. So yes. you can go back and, and yeah. I'll, I'll share the link on that. Uh, yeah. I remember you interviewed him. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I mean, I just could not stop reading that book and mm-hmm. went back to reread some things and really, again, try to put spiritual markers on, on areas where I have seen the faithfulness of God in, in the work of this part of my life. And, and as I just continue to, get older, still look back and still see the hand of God have walked all over, had always been there with me through those uh, deep, dark times mm-hmm. when I felt like no one knew how I felt. And, you know, when I was cynical and frustrated and mad and yeah, it was, uh, it was a great, great read, but you know, a lot of, a lot of those sort of people like Dr. Gilbert and Vera, you know, they were very instrumental in my life to help me understand that there's, there's definitely uh, a, a right way of thinking through all mm-hmm. this stuff. You know, going back to that topic of forgiveness, you know, forgiving mm-hmm. my father, I, I, I begin to find and see that, you know, it made me old and bitter. I mean, I wasn't old, but it made me more bitter. Um, mm-hmm. And I just imagine like, who, what this will grow into as I continue to age. I'm like, I yeah, don't want to. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Um, Envision the kind of person you'll be based on the choice you're making right now, whether you're going to be obedient to this, what God's asked you to go through or rebel against it. That kind of sets the trajectory of your whole life. And yeah, I mean, I certainly, yeah, I could be mad about it and and frustrated about it, but then what does that do for my life? You know, Mm -hmm. that puts me, because I mean, I look at my father and it doesn't bother him. You know, he he goes on about his life in prison as though everything's fine. And he's not bothered by that. And I'm just thinking, I'm the one who's bothered. I'm the one yeah, who's interesting. Hmm. The one who's in prison. I need to. Wow. I need to really let go of this grudge. Yeah, that's and, profound. Wow. And just free myself. So yeah. you know, doing that, having that forgiveness from the Lord, just you know, help me to really, really have that peace um, that passes all understanding to be free and not to be held by it anymore. Yeah. And I, and I think at a time of deep tragedy like that, as we reflect again on the gospel, particularly what Hebrews, uh, 12, two said for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the father. As we consider Christ accepting what God has placed on him, the burden of carrying this load and responsibility, he was obedient to it. And, uh, and I love that phrase for the joy set before him. If we choose to be obedient, we can look ahead. We can look past all of this and see that in the end, this choice to embrace the suffering will bring about joy. Uh, not doing so will bring about bitterness and anger and and kind of envisioning what you will be like as an old man <laughs> is yeah. healthy you know <laughs> yeah. you know and already uh, when i was like 25 years old mm-hmm. and had finished college uh, i mean i finished when i was 22 but just at the young age of being 25 um and, and realizing you know how much i had grown in the lord in that time frame uh it just really encouraged me that you know if i continue to be humble and learn and apply i just can't imagine the person Christ I'll be when I'm 60, you know, when yeah. I'm seven. Yeah. and, uh, you know, the, being able to help people uh, as they navigate through their, their valleys as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that for me, that would just be it brought so much peace to my heart. Like that's the yeah. type of person that I think God would want me to be. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Well, you're, you're talking maybe to someone right now who's, who is stuck in, their response to a tragedy might not be as huge and horrible as what you experienced, but it is hard for them. What, what, what encouragement do you, do you offer them as we, uh, as we wrap up here from, from what you've discovered? Yeah. Um, you know, when there's that season of grieving, grieve it, grieve it mm. real hard, grieve it in every way possible. All the things that, you know, they, they're like you said, there are many layers to, to loss and to grief. And I think you got to thoroughly, thoroughly grieve all those things. And I think for me, it was just like, I felt like I was dying because I had to grieve to so many different things yeah. in life, uh, things I wanted from my parents, um, you know, getting married, them being there, having children, being the first time grandchildren, wanting to see that all these things that would never, ever happen and grieve that, that, that idea, that dream would never happen, um, you know exploring all those different avenues I could to grieve all that. Uh, and again, in a very thorough way, but also take then that grief to the Lord, um, letting him find ways to, to make beauty out of these ashes. Mm, mm. And I, I just think how, um, I just think how uh, 
also just coming with the grief, but also coming at trying to find truth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think our, our from a biblical mm. world perspective, you know, like I thought at that time, you know, is what God's word saying about overcoming these things, having victory, is it then really true? Because why doesn't my life reflect that? And you, that listener who is listening, you may think that as well, but then there's this, for me, at least there's this battle between why we choose to do what we do, why we choose to believe and believe that the Lord is good and that he can bring restoration through this, um, or that he can bring justice through this. And there's going to be, you know, I think a fight for why we believe what we believe. Why is it? Why, how does it make sense? Um, and so, because it's one thing to just grieve it and just leave it there, but then also do something about it. Cause Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you're always stuck there, you know, you can't, you can't move on to. Yeah. And, and I think it's good to reflect of that the way I'm expressing myself in this reflects what I believe. And um, I think it's A.W. Tozer that says what, what we think about God or how we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, and it's often in trials that we are able to reflect the most on who he is and, and what he has done for us. I, I think that's the most frightening question. I think a believer yeah. themselves when they're in the midst of the, mm. of, the, of the trial, because it's like even in the middle of my tragedy, I could just still feel and know that the Lord is there and saying, "What are you going to do about yeah. what I can do?" You know, yeah. you have to see what I can do. Yeah, I and, love that. That's great. Yeah, and so having to be patient, you know, and, and he, he, I don't think God will always come triumphantly and just bust down the doors of your grief mm. and rest and pull you out, um, but also he'll he'll come there. He'll meet you there. I love that. Well, that's a, that's a great, great closing word. Now you've got a a book that you've written. What's the progress with that? Um, When can we expect that to be out and available? Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that that would be out uh, before the end of this year. Um, It's, it's definitely a memoir uh, perspective, but also just uh, trying to tie some theological um, truths into that as well. Mm -hmm. And not just, what I went through, my experiences, but really try to find common denominators in all suffering and all mm-hmm. pain. Um, and really, again, just building a good theological framework of how we think about suffering yeah. uh, of people and of, uh, of God himself, because, um, you know, this is, this is all for his glory and this is all for him. So, mm. yeah, I'm hoping, hoping that it will really just be a beautiful book that can tie those two, those two things together and really yeah. just shine and show, show light to people and that they've, they've got to have this courage. Hopefully the Lord will encourage them to take the urgency to plunge forward and to want to tackle and wrestle with these things in their mm-hmm. own lives. Um, and, yeah. And that, I love that. I degree. love that. Well, good. Well, when, uh, when that book's out, I'm sure I'll call you back and we'll do another podcast of, about the book if you'd be willing to do that. But uh, Peter, thank you so much. You, you did a, I know it's a hard topic, but you did a, a wonderful way. Uh, you had a wonderful way of telling the story and, and doing it with, uh, uh, you know, this balance of, of being real and respectful at the same time and how we were able to really focus on Christ and the gospel through all of this. So I, I appreciate that about you and thank you for sharing your story. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a privilege for me um, getting to share that with you and getting to know you too. So I really, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We've only had a few conversations, so this has been great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I think you, Mitch, uh, you know, in our short conversations, I've always, I've always felt like I've known you for a while. So 
Thank you. And likewise. You and likewise. It must be our common love for soccer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate All right. it. All right, Mitch. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit, you can email me again at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And uh, go ahead also and check out the website, www.beforeyouquit.us. I've got 93 episodes up there. Just scroll, scroll through those. They're titled and you can find uh, different topics that might be relevant to your interest right now. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that we go through. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.